Welcome back to the 10 Blocks Podcast. This is Brian Anderson, the editor of City Journal. Joining me on the show today is Stephen Ide. He's been on the show before. He's a City Journal contributing editor, a senior fellow at the Manhattan Institute, and the author of a brand new book called Homelessness in America, which has been published by Roman Littlefield. He also has a new report due out this week from the Manhattan Institute, co-authored with an adjunct fellow, Carolyn Gorman, and it's called The Continuum of Care, A Vision for Mental Health Reform. So Steve, as always, uh, thanks very much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me, Brian. Uh, This new report, which I'd like to talk about, uh, does not propose a single nationwide system for mental health care in America, but it does sketch uh, a kind of structure that communities can adopt. So, so what is the continuum of care that you're, you're referring to? Well, we're trying with this report to kind of take seriously the idea of a community-based system of mental health care. This has been the ideal in mental health care policy debate going back many decades when we decided to phase out the old asylum system. Um, but we've always come very short of that ideal. And even though there seems to be ever more interest in mental health, Um, That debate, the coverage of mental health, just continues to have this just very vague um, character. And so with this report, we're trying to give a little bit more focus and just concreteness as to what exactly a community-based system with mental health care with real integrity would look like. Um, So most people would be living in the community in accord with the um, ideal. They would know where to find their programs, but it would just work more effectively than the uh, than the system that we have. Well, you you say that the it's community based in two uh, ways. So first, it's non institutional, so that would mean it it's providing services in a, a less restrictive setting than the the uh, older asylum system, and that second, that mental health service programs would be. A local and and as you just say, they would differ based on local conditions. So so, what in your view is is the kind of advantage of this this particular approach? Well, you it need you need to be talking about programs that are focused on serious mental illness primarily, um, focus on helping people with serious men, mental illness before, during, after psychiatric crises. Um, it needs to be res- a residential system and base base a residential system mainly that is programs that pr- have a residential component that provide people a place to sleep and live temporarily. Um, you, and you need to be talking about programs that are uh, you know a, a, a set of programs, not just one program with in the case of the old asylums, but also that work as a system that coordinate such as through for example um, data sharing. And this would uh, enable, this would be a better system than the one we have now because you would see fewer people, quote, falling through the cracks as happens so often with seriously mentally ill individuals these days. I see. So as, as you uh, write in this report, mental health care uh, in America has, has undergone a series of reforms over the last several decades. Uh, there are pharmaceutical interventions now like lithium that are, that are widely available. Um, most of the population actually does have some some form of health insurance now. Uh, programs have shifted from inpatient to outpatient care, and there's there's been uh, a proliferation of mental health professionals, uh, um, including doctors, of course, but also social workers. Yet, despite these kind of reforms, the conditions are pretty bleak for the mentally ill. Still, uh, I think you you say that over 
13 million uh, adults have a serious form of mental illness in the country, and one-third of that number receives no treatment at all. So what is the reason for that gap uh, between inputs and outputs? Well, I do think that you have a tendency to keep expanding the system, keep spending more on programs, um, but not focusing enough on the, the hardest cases, the most troubled cases, which many people just say they, they can't handle. But these drive so much of the debate, the subway co- pushings, the mass shootings. Um, and, um, you know, there's an inattention to, I think, um, involuntary um, approaches to treatment. Um, and also just... Um, Um, an inability to really kind of knit these programs together. It's like, okay, I understand that people don't want to bring back the old asylum system. I mean, I think that's an important debate to have. There are many excellent City Journal articles that have contributed to that debate. But in the near term, just practically speaking, we need to think more about like how to make a community-based system that works better. Um, But what would that really mean? And I think the kind of discussions about data sharing and focus on crisis always tend to move in kind of uncomfortable directions for a lot of people. And that's why we um, continue to make so little progress. Mm. Uh, you you uh, observe in the report that inpatient hospitalization should be a last resort and, and utilized when patients need crisis intervention and stabilization that you, you can't manage in an outpatient setting. Um, so, so mental hospitals uh, are central to the continuum of care. Um, You know, maybe you could say a little bit more about why they're so important and what can inpatient hospitalization accomplish that community settings cannot. Um, And, you know, what what are the obstacles in the way of expanding that kind of inpatient care? I guess, you know, a lot of the asylums were shut down and um, there's not a lot of beds available. So so what, what does that picture look like right now? I think when we moved away from the old asylum system, what we really moved away from was long-term institutionalization. You know, City Journal ran this really interesting article years ago by Howard Husock about his great uncle. You know, it was common that people would spend essentially their entire adult lives um, in a mental asylum. And that we really moved away from. Um, So we still have, you know, tens of thousands of psychiatric hospital beds, but they're mostly oriented towards towards um, short-term, intermediate-term stabilization of people in crisis. These are chronic diseases. It's expected that often they're going to be recurring crises. So how do you respond when crisis hits? Um, The barriers to using more psychiatric hospitalization, I think a lot of the the attention is on the legal barriers, the, the legacy of the civil liberties movement. Um, it's very difficult to get persuade a court to allow someone to go into a hospital against their will if they don't want to go. But there are also these very important fiscal barriers in terms of the way that we fund mental health care, even in inpatient mental health care in America, through insurance, Medicaid. Um, there is a way in which that system, which, which ramped up in the latter decades of the 20th century, um, was never really built to pay for um, very long-term institutionalization. And so if we want to open up that possibility for certain types of people, we really need to think more about how we pay for um, inpatient psychiatric care um, in addition to the legal question. Um, you, you talk in the piece of, or the, the report about the importance of non-hospital transitional residential services and the need to close gaps between uh, the host of different mental health care programs. You know, the, the, as you've been uh, 
suggesting here, they, they don't always operate co cohesively. So maybe talk a little bit more about, you know, why that matters and what the problem is there in terms of the cohesiveness of service. Well, there are various different um, funding systems that get set up. And even, you know, New York and California are good examples of this because these are places with, you know, because of homelessness, crime, disorder, um, their, you know, their mental health problems and often seem so out of control. But, you know, it's easy to forget that these are very resource rich environments. They have all kinds of, you know, programs to divert mentally ill people out of the criminal justice system. I mean, New York has been doing that forever. So why do we still have a problem? I think that, um, you know, a lot of it comes down to this falling through the cracks thing where in, in the wake of a subway pushing, there's some sort of reporting or investigation done. What happened to this guy? Wasn't somebody looking after him? And a lot of times the answer seems to be, well, people just stopped, lost sight of him. He was showing up for a program. He stopped showing up and people just sort of shrugged and, and moved on. So how do you, you know, set up these systems of providers you know, who can deal with people in different stages of recovery, who deal with people with different kinds of serious mental illnesses, but who somehow coordinate or who are somehow talking to each other to make sure that if one person loses sight of someone, another person is trying to um, trying to stabilize them. Um, if we're serious about doing this community-based system, we need to be far more serious about that type of um, coordination, which is not not happening now. Do you think, um, and this is a final question, do you think that the impetus for reform that might make this kind of continuum of care uh, vision possible, would it, would it be coming from the states uh, on the level of, of uh, you, you know, state governments, or, or would there be a federal role here? I think there could be, there really does need to be important federal role in terms of like review, re removing certain prohibitions on funding, such as the, the so-called IMD exclusion, which prevents Medicaid from funding um, inpatient psychiatric care and specialized psychiatric hospitals, and also just specialized psychiatric programs, residential programs that operate with real scale. That is a really important reform that's going to need to happen. And also, in other ways, the federal government may need to be talking about other kind of targeted funding streams for this particular population, this particular system, um, it is the case that there are probably some jurisdictions, rural places that are just not going to have the resources to do this right, um, do this effectively. It's not a problem as much in New York or California, but that does point to um, a federal role um, if we really want to you know, make headway with this, with this crisis. Okay. Well, thanks very much, uh, Steve. The, the report is called the Continuum of Care, A Vision for Mental Health Reform. It's out this week from the Manhattan Institute. Stephen Ide has co-authored it with Carolyn Gorman. He's also the author of the new book, Homelessness in America, which I encourage you all to pick up and read. It really is uh, the definitive history of homelessness in America. Don't forget to check out Stephen Ide's other work on City Journal's website, www.city-journal.org. We'll link to his author page in the description. And you can find City Journal on Twitter, at City Journal, and on Instagram, at City Journal underscore MI. As usual, if you like what you've heard on today's podcast, please give us a five-star rating on iTunes. Steve and I, always great to talk with you. Thanks for having me, Brian. Thanks for joining us for the weekly 10 Blocks podcast featuring urban policy and cultural commentary with City Journal editors, contributors, and special guests.